Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him. He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's a sinner's savior. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's the loftiest idea in literature. He is the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meat. That's my king. He's indescribable. His life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't get him off of your head. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand it, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. That's my king. That's my king. God has a sense of humor because this morning when I woke up and I let my dogs out to do their business, it was snowing. And it was snowing even for just like 30 seconds. So I think like God waited for me to like open the door just so he could say, guess what's happening today? And then it stopped like, aha, April Fool's. So I think the joke was on me this morning because I was like, oh my gosh, God, you've got to be kidding me. No more snow, right? But today is April Fool's Day. And, and even though Easter doesn't land on April Fool's Day every year, it, it's kind of rightfully so that today would be the resurrection of Christ's day that we celebrate Easter and April Fool's Day one and the same. Because you know what? When Jesus was alive, people considered him to be a fool. They thought, that's just some carpenter's son from, from Nazareth, a place that, that homeless people come from, a place that, that the lowest of the low come from. What good could come out of Nazareth? You're telling me that the Messiah, the king we've been waiting for, is coming from Nazareth and he's a carpenter's son? No, that's not our king. That man's a fool. He's an imposter. They thought he was a fool when he was doing his ministry, performing miracles. And they also thought he was a fool when he was dangling from the cross. And they were mocking him and spitting on him. And they were saying, if you really are the son of David, if you really are the king of the Jews, come down from the cross. You see, they thought he was a fool. They wanted him to prove himself. And you know what? I think some of us, if we're honest, you might be here today and you might think, you know what? I kind of doubt too. I kind of doubt whether or not Jesus really is the Son of God, really, if he is the Messiah, the King of the Jews, whether he is 
the God himself in flesh. And you know what? As, even as a pastor, as a minister of the gospel, I have to say that sometimes I doubt too. When I'm going through hardships and struggle, when, when I'm going through circumstances that I, I didn't prepare for and, and don't feel like I can handle and things are just dark and frustrating and constantly negative, sometimes I doubt too. God, if, you, if you're a good God, why do I have to struggle through this? Maybe you're not there at all because my prayers feel like they're not going past the ceiling. And if you're here today and you struggle with doubt, that's okay because you're in good company. Because I would say that the majority of us here, if not all of us, at some time or another have struggled with doubt. But you know what? The Bible even says something about Christianity being somewhat foolish. Not only does it say the world will consider us fools, but Paul the Apostle in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he's talking about the belief of the resurrection of Christ. He's saying that if Jesus is not raised from the dead, then, then what good is our faith? If he isn't raised, then, then we are to be pitied more than anyone else in all of the world. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, or rather verse 19, it says, and if our hope is in Christ is only for this life, we are to be more pitied than anyone else in all the world. If our faith is only good enough for this life, there's nothing hereafter, there's no heaven, there's no eternity, then what's the point? He said, we're to be pitied because we're slaving ourselves, trying to serve people, trying to, trying to take care of others better than we take care of ourselves, trying to honor this God by, by not doing the things the world tells us are fun and exciting, things that we could find pleasure in. What are we doing if this doesn't exist? But see, you got to know something about Paul. Paul was a killer of Christians. He was a Jew. He was a Pharisee. He was very devout in that religion, and he persecuted Christians until one day he had a radical encounter with the living God himself. Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus in all of his glory. Paul fell down to his feet, and he was struck blind, and God said, Paul, I've chosen you for a great purpose. I've chosen you to be my light to the people who don't know who I am, who've never heard of even the Jewish law. You're coming to be hope to the world, to bring the good news to everyone. And Paul's life was changed. He went from a murderer of Christians to the greatest missionary the world has ever seen. How could that happen if not be for a risen Savior? He says in verse 20 of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, after saying that if this isn't true, then we're to be pitied more than anyone else in all the world. He says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. Paul could only attest to that fact because he had seen Jesus himself. He had a radical encounter with the Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. And the reality for us today is if you do a study on world religions and, and history, and even science in some respects is a religion today and what it presupposes, the reality is there's no other world religion in this world today offers the same hope for life today and eternal life tomorrow. Every other world religion, there's a giant question mark. What, what is there? We don't really know. How do we get there? We don't really know. Try this out and see if it works. Jesus Christ is the, in Christianity, is the only faith, the only religion on the face of the world that says there is no other name under heaven whereby you must be saved. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes unto the Father but by him. No other religion guarantees a heaven to win, a way to be made right with God. You see, the real fool 
in the story of Easter, in, in this story. We've gone through Passion Week and in, in the, highlighting the, the triumphal entry of Christ as he entered into Jerusalem. And this past Friday, we, we celebrated Good Friday because it was the day Christ gave his life for us. And I had the privilege of, of, of spending some time with my kids and we watched the movie The Passion of the Christ just to recount the things that he had done in our lives. And then we took communion together just to celebrate what his death means for us to focus on what that is. But the death of Christ is not the end of the story. You see, Satan, from the time he was kicked out of heaven, Satan was the most glorious angel to ever existed. He even had the most special prized position in heaven. He hovered over the very presence of God, over the throne of God. He was the mighty cherubim. And he started to think of himself as being a little better than what he was. Pride began to creep up in his heart and it corrupted him and he lost his place in heaven because when something becomes sinful or stained with sin, it can no longer stand in the presence of God. There's fellowship that's broken. There's a relationship that's broken. And Satan got so full of himself that he thought, you know what, I'm pretty good. I'll just overthrow God and I'll become God. And there was a war in heaven and Satan got cast out of heaven and he took a third of the angels with him into the earth. And he began to work to build his own kingdom. And as he was on earth, he thought, well, if I can't rule in heaven, I'm going to rule on earth. And so he did the only thing he knew how to do. He went to the first parents, Adam and Eve, and he brought temptation and he corrupted their lives. And he stole the authority and the dominion that he had. And he thought, okay, I've got him now. I've got him now. I've got a power. I've got the ability to rule and reign. But he didn't know the end of the story. He didn't know that one day God himself would intervene on mankind's behalf. That he would come as a baby of the lowliest, lowliest of the low. And he would enter into humankind, into human history. And he would play one big prank on the devil. See, Jesus lived... He went out, and before he started his ministry, he went into the, the wilderness for 40 days. He fasted and he prayed, and Satan came and he tempted. He threw everything that he had at Jesus, and Jesus resisted every temptation. He overthrew Satan in the desert, and then finally the scripture says that he left Christ until another opportune time, and I believe that time was on the cross. As they, he was taking every lash, as he was taking every beating, as he was getting the nails driven in his hands, I can hear Satan's words being spewed out of those that mocked him, trying to get him to give up, to give in, and to worship the devil. But you know what? Jesus didn't fail. He went through it, and he died. And on the third day, the world was never the same. He came back from the grave. You see, the gospel story is one big prank on the devil because Satan thought he had God defeated with Christ's death. And as he was nailing the hands of the Lord to the cross, he was really nailing the nails into his own coffin. Because on the third day, Satan's power was broken in ultimate victory. Hebrews chapter 2, 14 through 15 says this. He says, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood. The son also became flesh and blood for only as a human being could he die and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. And only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Satan's power is defeated. Satan is the ultimate fool. He is the ultimate fool. Because everything he does to try to overthrow God, God turns around for the good of those who loved him and are called according to his promises. 
He turns it around and uses it for his ultimate glory. And see, today, you might have walked in here today. Maybe you're, you're doubting. Maybe you've just been struggling in your life and you're looking for answers. I don't know what brought you in here today, but doubt is not a bad thing. And the Bible says, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word by the word of God. And so we're going to let the word of God speak today and allow the word of God to increase your faith and to introduce you to an opportunity that could radically change your life, just like it changed Paul's, just like it changed mine and many people here today. See, in Psalm 53, verse 1, it says this. It says, a fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Now, this doesn't mean, this isn't demeaning. This isn't trying to put anybody down. This isn't trying to be offensive because we have to ask a question when we come across a verse like this in Scripture. We have to ask a question, why are the unbelieving fools? Why, why is this true? If this is the Word of God, it's from God Himself, why is this true? Well, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, he says, For ever since the world was created, people have seen the sky above, and he has seen the earth and everything God has made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. You see, God, through his creation, has revealed himself to us. Everything he's made. You look up and see the stars. You see the impossibilities that exist around us. The very creation of God. He has revealed himself through his creation. So no one is without excuse. And if creation wasn't enough. If creation itself was not enough, Jesus in John chapter 14, verse 7, he says this. He says, if you had really known me, you would know who my father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. If you have seen me, you've seen the father, which means in the face of Jesus, not just in his creation, in his coming, in the very face of Jesus, God has revealed himself to the world and he's given us all the evidence we need to know who he is and that he is who he is. And so I want to talk a little bit about today. I want to talk a little today about this story, Easter story. I want to talk about why the resurrection matters. God has revealed himself. He's revealed himself in nature. He's revealed himself in Jesus. He's revealed himself in the scripture. And I believe that today he wants to reveal himself to you in this place. And I want to see, I want to allow him to reveal himself, who he really is, by talking about why the resurrection matters, or why this gospel story matters, because it's good news. It's good news. And it goes all the way back to the beginning. Remember the story about Satan in the Garden of Eden, as he was tempting Adam and Eve, and he, he tempted Adam and Eve to sin because that was the only way he could break their fellowship with God and take authority over the earth. But something happened in the garden. Something happened of mega significance. In Romans chapter 5, verse 12, when Adam chose to rebel against God, here's what Paul says in Romans 5, verse 12. It says, when Adam sinned, sin entered into the world. When he sinned, this thing called sin entered into the world. Now, sin, as many of us understand it, is not just the bad things we do. It's not just disobedience. When we know to do something, and we know to do something good, and we don't do it, that is sin. And then we know when something's bad, and we choose to do it anyway, that is sin. But there's something more significant here. 
than just our actions, whether they are good or bad. Sin is also a nature. It's, it's a, a point of being or a state of being. There is a, a curse that falls on every human heart from the moment we're conceived, this sin nature. And sin has come into the world. It now even touches each and every one of us. And because sin touches our heart, our natural disposition in life is to pull away from God, not pull towards God. It's not to lean into God, it's only to pull away from God because now every one of us are bent toward sin. And Satan knows this, and he leverages this sinful nature against us in the world by creating temptations. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 says this. He says, For the world only offers a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our own achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. Another translation says the world only offers the lust of the flesh, things that please our bodies, things that please our physical selves, lust of the eyes, things that please our eyes, our greedy eyes that never stop pursuing things that we feel or make us happy, and the pride of life, things that make us feel proud and more superior than others because of our own accomplishments and state of being. This is what the world constantly is tempting us. We can go outside these doors and just look at the billboards and see advertisements that pull towards our lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. This affects all of us. James chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. James, the brother of Jesus, writes this. He says, For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, you will find disorder and evil of every kind. Every one of us today have struggled, have, have produced jealousy and selfish ambition in one form or another. And here James is saying when, when this is in our hearts, when this is produced in our lives, it will produce evil of every kind. And we can look out all over the world and we can see how evil is produced in this life. It's not because God created evil, it's because evil is created in the heart of man. Galatians 5, 19 through 21, Paul the Apostle writes this. He says, when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful desires, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension and division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Every one of us have been touched by sin in some way. Every one of us. It's not just what we see on the news. It's down to the personal, individual lives of every person here. Some of you here today, you've been touched by broken marriages. Either your parents split when you were young, or maybe you've been through a divorce yourself. Some of you here have been touched by abuse. You've been abused. Some of you are touched by a spirit of rebellion. There's something in your heart that just doesn't respect authority and you hate when people try to tell you what to do and that even plays on your relationship with God. You're like, God, I'm not listening to you. I don't care what you say. I'm doing my own thing. I'm gonna be the God of my own life. Some of you have been touched by war, murder, hatred, child exploitation, human trafficking. It's on the rise. There's genocide in the world, terrorism, conflict, addiction, violence, drunkenness, lying, deceit, any and all attitudes and behaviors that breathe death into life. 
We have been touched by that. And we've been touched by that because of sin. Everyone is affected. Romans 3.23 says this, that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. The glorious standard of God, the perfection of Christ, because of sin, we have fallen short. Just as Satan's relationship was fractured and he was cast out of heaven because of sin, just like Adam and Eve and their relationship with God in the garden was fractured and they were cast out of the garden, we too, because of sin, have a broken fellowship and relationship with God. Our relationship is separated. This connection between us and God has been broken. Paul in Romans 3.10, he says, As the scriptures say, there is none righteous, not even one. There is no one who's righteous. Not a human on the earth is righteous. And I know the common argument is, well, you know, I feel like I'm a good person. And when I get to heaven, I believe my good works will outweigh my bad works. And God will let me in, you know, for, for good behavior. But the scripture says, the Bible says, our righteousness is like filthy rags. The best that we can accomplish in our own strength and our own glory is nothing compared to God's perfection. We have all fallen short. There's not enough good in this world that we could do to attain or pay God back for the amount of sin that's produced in our lives. Everyone has sinned. Everyone has fallen short, and everyone is responsible for the evil that exists in the world. From the smallest point to the greatest, no one is exempt. And what has become because of sin? What has become other than evil and suffering in the world? Well, Paul finishes his thought in Romans 5.12. He says, when Adam sinned, sin entered into the world, and Adam's sins brought death, so that death spread to everyone, for everyone has sinned. Do you ever wonder why we constantly try to prolong life? I mean, you can't watch TV more than a couple seconds between you see rejuvenation this and lift this and tuck this and, and all these different uh, fads or diet fads and exercise programs. Everything that we see is an attempt to try to prolong life. We spend billions and billions of dollars on medicine. Why? To try to prolong life. Because we know that from the point someone is born, at one point they will die. The old must die, the young may die. There's no guarantee in this world. At some point we will die. And so we have been trying since really the, the first moments of existence to try to prolong life. It's because when sin entered into the world, something that wasn't meant for us came into being, and that was death. God created us to have an eternal, everlasting relationship with him, to never know death, to never know pain or suffering. And our rebellion brought death into existence. And so we are all now cursed under physical death, but not just physical death. There's also a spiritual death. Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus says this. He says, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Just as heaven, the abode of God, is a real place, hell also exists. It exists for really one particular purpose. Matthew 25, 41, Jesus says, talking about the end of days when he comes back and brings judgment and he separates the righteous from the wicked, he says, Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. When Satan defected from heaven and he cast him out, God prepared a place for him and those who rebelled in heaven. He prepared a place called hell. Hell was a place we were never meant to go. 
But because of sin, this curse of death, this separation from God, this broken fellowship, when we die and our soul goes into eternity, there's only two places you can go, with God or separated from God. And because of sin, if we're not going to be with God, our souls must endure the second death in hell. Why? Because God is a God of justice. He is a God of righteousness. And just as we wouldn't stand for somebody harming our family and getting away with it, just as we wouldn't stand for someone committing murder and getting away with it, just as we wouldn't stand for someone bringing violence to our home and, and getting away with it, God does not stand for the people of the earth to bring violence into his home and get away with it. God will judge sin, and he's prepared a day and ordained a day to pour out his judgment on the earth against all disobedience. And as daunting and as overwhelming as that thought is, 2 Peter 3.9, Peter writes this to the church. He said, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed but he wants everyone to repent. God in his justice and his judgment will pour judgment out on sinners, but God is not just a God of justice and righteousness. He is a God of unspeakable, undefinable, reckless love. God doesn't just have love. He defines love. He gave himself for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God doesn't want anyone to fall into judgment. He wants everyone to be saved. He wants everyone to be forgiven. It's not God's will that anyone would be lost in the hell fire, the judgment. And so because God knew that we had this problem we could not fix in of, our, of ourselves, we had this sin problem that we couldn't undo, this curse we were under we couldn't undo, God decided to do something for us instead. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says this. It says, God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Think about this, the judge, the righteous one. Think about going into a courtroom and you are guilty of murder, of the most heinous crime. And you're standing before the judge, guilty as sin. And you're waiting for the judge to pronounce your judgment because you know what you've done. You know how you've sinned, how you've committed this crime. And the judge says, you know what? You are guilty. But you know what? I'm going to take care of that. I'm going to pay your penalty. I'm going to give you my son, and he's going to go to the death chamber in your place. And so he takes his own son and puts his son in the chair or on the table, and his son pays the penalty for you because the judge loved you. Talk about an insane possibility. Something we know in this life would never happen. But this is exactly what God did for us, what God did for you. He looked at you and your sin, and he says, you can't 
overcome this in your own right. You can't do anything about this. You're a lost in your sin. So I'm going to do what you couldn't do. I'm going to send my son, Jesus Christ, to live a sinless life, to live a life, to model a life that we should live. I'm going to come and I'm going to send the very embodiment of love himself for grow no greater love is this than a man who would lay his life down for his friends. I'm going to send him into this world and he's going to pay your payment. He's going to take care of your debt. He's going to end the curse of sin and death that is slated towards you. This, my friends, is good news. This is good news. This is why this matters. This is why we celebrate, not just on Easter, but every Sunday of every week, we celebrate the risen Savior because of what Christ did for us on the cross. He became sin for us. Isaiah 53, 5 through 7 says, He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us were like sheep and we strayed away. We left God's paths to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Jesus took your sin, your wrongs, your inabilities, your weaknesses, and he laid them on his dear son. And why did he do it? Why did he do it? Paul says in Romans 5, 8, he says, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. It was because of love. God loved you and you and you and you. God saw you before the foundation of the world and he said, I want you. I want to have a relationship. I want to show you what an everlasting, abundant life is. I want to show you what true love is, what true joy is, what true peace is, what you can find in me. And so I'm going to do the impossible. I'm going to make you right of my own account. I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to give you mercy because I love you. There is no sin that cannot be forgiven. There is no wrongdoing that the blood of Christ cannot cover. God did it, everything. See, through one man and one tree, death was unleashed into the world. But through another man and another tree, forgiveness and everlasting life was unleashed into the world. This is why Easter matters. Because Jesus came that you might have life and life more abundantly. He came to destroy the works of the devil. He came to take you out of the kingdom of darkness and place you in the kingdom of his dear son, where his love reigns forever. Your sin debt has been paid because your God loved you with a reckless love and desires to have an eternal, unbroken, never shaken relationship with you. But just as Adam had a choice to live for God, just like Adam had a choice to be obedient or to rebel, to trust or to deny, just as Adam had a choice, you and I too have a choice. We have a choice to respond to the good news, to God's invitation, or to turn away from it. You see, a gift can't just be given. It also has to be received. It's not enough for someone to put the gift in the box and wrap it up and put the bow on it. 
If it's never given to the one it's intended for, and the one it's intended for never receives it, then the one who receives it can't enjoy the gift. Salvation is not just something God has done for us. It is a gift. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Salvation is a gift for all who would choose to turn away from their sin and trust in Jesus Christ. It's a gift. And today you have an opportunity to receive that gift. To know that your sins are forgiven. To know that your relationship with God is restored. To know that the Spirit of God, God himself, will come and actually live inside of you. To seal you with his mighty presence. To be with you forever and ever and ever. And not just to cover your sins in this life and pave a way for an abundant life, but so that one day when you see him face to face, you will hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. There is something waiting for you on the other side in the very presence of God you cannot describe. Perfect love, perfect grace, perfect peace, perfect joy. Have you received his gift today? Paul in Romans 10, verses 9 and 10, he says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring the faith that you are saved. It's by confessing with your mouth, Jesus is my Lord, and believing in your heart, I believe in his death, and I believe in his resurrection, that you will receive the gift of eternal life. Forgiveness of your sins. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all wickedness. John 1.12 says, But to all who believed and accepted him, he gave the rights to become the children of God. God is ready to adopt you into his everlasting family. He's ready to restore fellowship. He's ready to get that monkey of guilt and shame off of your back and let your cares be cast on the Lord for he cares for you. He's ready to transform the, the turmoil and the tension inside and place peace and hope, the peace that passes all understanding. God is ready to do a work in your life. And he's ready to do it when you choose to step out and receive him as your Lord and Savior. You have all the evidence you need. He's revealed himself in the earth, in the sky, and in the face of Jesus. But today, you have to decide, are you going to accept it? Let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes for just a moment as we wrap up. We do what we do here. For this very reason, there are people here today. If you were to die today, you wouldn't know that you would go to heaven. You don't know that your sins are forgiven. You don't even know if you have a relationship with God. There's some of you here today that are doubting whether or not God could even love you because of the things that you've done. Let me tell you, God so loved the world, that's you, that he gave his one only son. God showed his love for you while you were still a sinner, while you were still an enemy of God. He showed his love for you by sending Jesus to die for you. God loves you no matter what. And God is chasing you right now. There's some of you I know right now under the sound of my voice, 
It feels like there's an elephant on your chest. You know the Spirit of God is calling out to you. You know that you feel it within you, that God is saying, just believe, just trust. Make that decision today. I want to restore fellowship. I want to change your life. I want to transform you from the inside out. You know it. You know that you know. Right now, He is speaking to you. And I'm going to invite you right now to respond, to accept His gift of salvation by praying this prayer with me. And I'm going to encourage the whole church to pray along, to encourage those that are ready to receive Christ today. Right now, you can pray with me. Say, Father in heaven, forgive me of my sin. I know my sins have separated me from you. But I know Jesus died for me and rose for me so that I could be forgiven. Please forgive me. I trust in Jesus Christ. And I believe in his resurrection. I believe. I believe. I believe that he is my Lord and he is my Savior. Fill me with your spirit and empower me to live for you now and forever. Amen. Let's give a round of applause for those that prayed today in the name of Jesus. I am so thankful for those that prayed those that accepted Christ. And you know, uh, if we could get the lights up for just a minute in the house, I don't know uh, who could get the lights up for me. But uh, I'm going to invite the volunteers to come down. I am so thankful that you're here today. And if you made that decision, I am just uh, ecstatic that you chose to make that decision. The Bible says that when one sinner turns to repentance, God throws a party in heaven, which means there's a heaven uh, there's a party in heaven in your honor being celebrated right now. And uh, we've done something kind of drastic and something kind of uh, faith-based. There are the lights. Yeah, go ahead. Bring the lights up all the way. What I'd like to do is if you hadn't noticed, there's a big tub down here. And Jesus said to his disciples before he went to heaven, before he unleashed them into the world, Jesus said, go ye into all the world and baptize Everyone who turns to Christ, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this commandment we have is our first testament. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father in heaven. This is part of that confession that we, that we do when we receive the gift. We confess to people, yes, Jesus is my Lord. My sins are forgiven. And so the symbol of our forgiveness is in the baptism. It's going under the water, being buried in the likeness of his death, and raised out of the water in the likeness of his resurrection as a new creature. And we took a step of faith today because we believed that somebody here was going to receive Christ. Or maybe somebody here was going to rededicate their life after being away from God for a long time. And if you made that decision today to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to ask you to take a step of faith. And I'm going to ask you to come and be baptized. I'm going to ask you to follow God, to take a step of faith. And so I, we've got volunteers over here. We've got Chris on the right or your left. My right, your left. And we got Stephanie on uh, my left, your right. And you might be thinking, well, I didn't prepare to be baptized. I don't have any stuff. Well, we bought stuff. So we've got clothes for the ladies. We've got something for you to be dunked in. We've got clothes for the men. we got stuff for you to be ducked in. We've taken care of everything. All you have to do is say, I will follow and trust the Lord. And so if God is laying on your heart right now, there's an awkward tension that's like, I know I need to do this, but this is really weird. 
We're praying that you take that step of faith and you say, you know what? I'm going to trust God no matter what. We're going to celebrate today. This is going to be the best Easter that we have ever had in our entire lives. So if you trusted in Christ for the first time today, or you want to rededicate your life and do so through baptism, on the count of three, this is faith. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. I'm going to ask the men to make their way over to Chris's side and the women to make their way over to Stephanie's side. And in just a moment, we will have a baptism service. We will rock this place, okay? So on the count of three, one, don't be shy, don't be scared. We're all family here. Two, three, stand up. Come on. Who wants to be baptized? Come on. Come on. Don't be scared. Come on. Amen. If we baptize one, I don't care. I'm getting in the water. Anybody else? Come on. All right. We're going to, as we get ready, go ahead and follow Chris. As we get ready, then we're going to sing some worship, and then we're going to baptize we're going to celebrate together. If you change your mind, just come on out to the hallways. We're going to baptize you. It's not too late. Come on.